attention, attention all personnel. It's MASHCAST. Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates episode by episode the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Corporal Captain Rob Kelly, and joining us this week in the VIP tent is our old friend, Captain Sean M. Myers. Hi, Sean. At ease, Kelly. <laughs> I am always at ease. Thank you so much for coming back. You know I love talking to you, and uh, this is a, a really good episode, so I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to delve into it. All right. Well, so the episode in question is from Season 2, of course, Episode 22, George. Original air date, February 16th, 1974, written by John Regier, I don't know how you pronounce that exactly, and Gary Markowitz, directed by Gene Reynolds. Amid the wounded that have just arrived, one of them is covered in bruises. Hawkeye worries, realizing those aren't the kinds of bruises one gets in combat. While Henry and Frank argue over whether another patient should get a week's R&R in Tokyo, Henry Pro, Frank Kahn, of course, Hawkeye's patient, a quiet guy named George, asks if he can talk to Hawkeye privately. George wants to be discharged as soon as possible to get back to his unit. Hawkeye tries to dissuade him, but George insists he wants to get back into combat. When pressed, George admits why. He says that the two guys who got beat up in his unit were one colored and one homosexual. George insists that it's important to him, now more than ever, that he return to his unit and finish his tour of duty. Hawkeye reluctantly agrees. Later, Frank comes back to the swamp, acting coy about something very interesting that he learned about a certain person. He tells them that Private Weston is one of those, which gives Franks the willies. Frank insists Weston's is a pervert and a cream puff, even though Weston asked, demanded, to return to combat and has been wounded in the line of duty four times. He then has Weston moved off of his surgical schedule and is forced to tell Margaret why after Radar announces it in the mess tent. Frank then prepares to bring Weston up on charges, so Hawkeye and Trapper prepare a plan to thwart him. Later on, they pretend to have an argument in the swamp, with Trapper now saying he agrees with Frank about Weston. Frank is happy to have the support, and they confide in one another with Trapper, after Hawkeye's prodding, telling Frank that he cheated on his medical exams. Frank, forgetting himself, admits that he did too. This enrages Hawkeye, who basically trades blackmail for blackmail, saying if Frank goes ahead with the paperwork on Weston, Hawkeye will report that Frank cheated on his medical exams. When Frank looked for comfort from Trapper, Trapper says he was just kidding. Frank, realizing he's trapped, tears up the paperwork, defeated. So, uh, Sean, uh, this uh, was a pretty amazing episode. Uh, I have to ask you, what was? do you remember the first time you saw this one? I actually didn't see it when it aired. I was only four years old, but I definitely saw it in syndication. I would have been, I guess, probably in my teens, late teens when I saw it. What did you do? You remember what your your first thought of it was? Because, I mean, I mean, we it's for a 1973 sitcom. Just tackling this subject at all uh, was pretty bold. What's well, funny as the Fire and Water Podcast Network's senior homosexual correspondent, I definitely <laughs> connected with me. Uh, this episode spoke to me just because of George. Um, and even even at that time, it was such a big deal to come out, much less in 1974 when it aired, much less in 1953 
during the war. Right. I mean, I mean, Weston, uh, I mean, had the phrase existed, of course, at the time, this episode could have been called Don't Ask, Don't Tell, because this is Weston is risking being drummed out of the military uh, for even admitting uh, what he admits to Hawkeye. But the, we know that he gets a sense that Hawkeye is a kind person and Hawkeye's not going to turn him in, which, of course, he, he isn't. But I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, they, they get right, they put it right across when they, when the actor playing uh, George, by the name is Richard Eli, by the way, uh, talks about how that he got drunk with his buddies, and he mentioned something in his past, and that of course bring gets uh, gets him beaten up uh, by his comrades, and uh, yet he is in, completely insists on going back to his unit and serving out his tour of duty, which is again a, a remarkable thing, but. To, to give all credit to, to MASH, I mean, again, this was a pretty pretty bold subject matter to tackle on a television show in 1974. It wasn't the first show of its kind to do that. There was an episode of Mary Tyler Moore called My Brother's Keeper, which mm-hmm. aired a year earlier, which confronts uh, the, this – I don't want to – I hate to even say the word this issue, but this subject, and that, that there is a gay character in that episode – and it's just, just again, even mentioning it in a uh, you know network sitcom was 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 pretty out there. What I love about this episode is that the, at no point does the show go for any laughs regarding George. I mean, you know, I mean, the episode is not even really about him. It's really about Frank and his bigotry, his hypochondria, uh, his his you know all, his hypocritical nature. It's really more about Frank and his reaction than it is anything else. Because George disappears about halfway through the episode. But nevertheless, just that speech that Richard Eli has with Alan Alda when they walk the, the the compound. I remember seeing this as a kid and just my just being like, wow, this is just not something you heard about on television for many, many decades. The two things that really impressed me and surprised me, um, the fact when you said about George, he is actually only on the screen for two minutes and 39 seconds. Wow. Watch and timed it. Yeah, he's only on for two minutes and 39. Uh, 38 seconds when he's in the OR recovering and mostly talking to Frank and Margaret. And then two minutes and one second when he talks to Hawkeye. And by the way, Hawkeye has not my favorite joke, but probably the best joke of the entire show. When George confesses that two guys in his unit got beat up, one was a homosexual and the other guy was colored. And Hawkeye says, of course, oh, so you're a Negro. Who'd have guessed? (laughs) But it it is great. Um, Definitely for this time, it makes sense that you bring the homosexual character on and then it's all about the reactions and feelings and thoughts of the straight people around it, because the majority of the audience is going to be straight. They're going to funnel their emotions through whatever character they agree. With. Were you out at the time when you saw this episode? It's funny. And I don't know how we want to get into this. TV has always been there for me mentally dealing with my homosexuality, dealing with me being gay. Growing up, I'm 51 years old. I was born in 1968. And growing up, I watched a ton of TV. I I literally used to have the three network schedules memorized. We We didn't even need a TV guide. I knew it was on. I watched TV all the time. And because of TV, I always knew that I was fine. I always knew that I was mentally stable. I was not sick or diseased. I was lucky in that way. I remember as a little kid watching Donahue 
and he would always have topics, you know, two or three times a year about homosexuality, and it was always pro-homosexuality, you know, gay is fine. Um, even like Three's Company, even though Jack Tripper wasn't gay, he was pretending to be gay to live with the roommates, the fact that Mr. Roper was seen as the joke because he didn't understand Jack or he made fun of Jack and he was the butt of the joke, that helped me immen immensely. All these, uh, Jody on Soap helped tremendously with Ah, me. right, Billy Crystal, yeah. I never had any issue whatsoever growing up. Um, so by the time I had seen George in syndication, I was already well on my way and fine. Um, and in fact, this, certainly nothing against Mesh, this is almost one of the lesser things for me in terms of being fine with me gay. Because by that time, I was already okay with it. I, I was fine. Right. I said, and, and as I mentioned, this episode is not really about George. It's more about Frank's reaction to it and everyone else's. I mean, it's, it's very – I really enjoyed – uh, watching uh, how when Frank sort of turns to all of his compatriots and is expecting them to be as horrified as he is, and they're not. Uh, there's that scene in the in, the, in Henry's uh, office where he says, like, "A non-man uh, in the uh, in in post-op," and Henry's like, "A woman? You know, there's no there's no female, there's no women allowed in post-op, Frank." And then Frank finally says, "A non-heterosexual," and Henry's like. Basically, like, so what? Did he make a pass at you, at me, at anyone? I mean, he just doesn't care. Uh, and then I love when Frank has the line about, uh, you well, there, there's people who could threaten the unit. And Henry's like, well, you never know, do you? Which to me, I always took as Henry's meaning, you're the threat. You're the real threat to this unit, Frank, not this guy. So I just love that when Henry's confronted with it, Henry's just like, all right, yeah, whatever. I don't care. And it, that makes me love these characters all the more because – I can't say I remember when I first saw this episode, but I certainly had the same reaction as, as Hawkeye and Trapper and everybody else. And this I was like, yeah, so, uh, you know, George is clearly uh, quite the brave man. And so I was like, fine. It's, you know, you, it, you, it's clearly set up that Frank's a one giant asshole in this episode. And it's so interesting because when, um, you know, he thinks that George is a brawler and, you know, being wounded for, for his bravery, you know, he's all for him and he wants to talk to him. And then as soon as he hears – and Frank even says it's the rumor, it's the gossip that he's gay. He wants nothing to do with him. He calls him a powder puff yeah. even though he's – we know he's far braver than Frank is. Right. Frank's always talking about how he'd love to be up there and yet we know that uh, you know he put in for a purple heart when he gets a, 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 yeah. a eggshell fragment near his eye. I mean he's, he's the biggest weakling there is but of course – he likes to think he's uh, Audie Murphy and stuff. And here's a guy who's literally seen combat and is willing to get beaten up by his fellow compatriots but because he wants to serve out his time. Now, I do want to ask you what your thought is about the line. And, and I don't want to be too critical of this episode because, again, you have to look at it in the context of when it aired. Is that this was this was really out there for a show to do? Uh, you mentioned Jody on on soap. That was the first show ever to have a regular character that was homosexual. It never happened before. So this was still pretty new stuff in 1974. But George has the line about you know I got drunk with the guys and I mentioned something that and he kind of pauses and says something that happened uh, a little while ago. And I it's sort of like that's I always found that to be a slightly clumsy line. Because it's like, well, he makes it sound like it was one thing that happened one time. 
a bunch of years ago, and that doesn't make you homosexual necessarily, you know what I mean? But I also realized that the show is sort of probably stumbling through this a little bit, and maybe they weren't as comfortable making him say, you know, being much more like, yeah, no, I'm a homosexual. Like being clear at all what I'm trying to get across here, I'm not sure. I understand what you're saying. And definitely like, you know, liking, loving MASH the way I do, I am definitely willing to forgive a lot for this episode. Definitely its heart is in its wrong, it is in the right place. And even me saying that I think is too severe. Um, you know, you could argue that this is 1953 and there are at least three or four pro-gay characters where it's no big deal. And I don't know if that necessarily would have been historically accurate. Mm. Even even when the show was made in 74, probably, you know, public opinion was coming around and, and swaying towards a more enlightened view. But it wasn't until 1973 that the APA removed homosexuality from the DSM. So it Why don't you was, explain to people what the DSM is? So the DSM is um, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. It's what, I guess, the uh, doctor would use to prescribe or to diagnose what is wrong, quote-unquote wrong, with a patient. And in 1973, the APA removed that, removed homosexuality as a mental illness. Wow, in in my lifetime, you know. I mean, I know I know I'm old, but still, that feels like uh, that's that's way too recent for that to be a thing. Good lord! And technically, you know, my time too, but I was five years old at that time. Right. So right. you know, developmentally, I wasn't there yet, just because I didn't have feelings for anyone. Right. But you know, within a couple of years, I did have crushes on guys, and I was watching TV. So I I was fine. Like I always was new. I was well adjusted and nothing was wrong with me. Um, I guess probably the closest I can equate to now is with trans rights and, you know, people like there's a trans character on Supergirl who is a hero, a heroine. Like that is fantastic for those kids. I, I think about that now as when I was growing up and I would see gay characters and gay representation and how much that meant to me and how much easier it was for me. I mean, I just think, and not that trans kids has it, have it easy, but it definitely is a touchstone for them. It's something that they can grab onto and hold and think about. Yeah, that's what it says. It's wonderful. Uh, this episode is curious. I, I, I would say curious. It is sort of interesting in that I think this is one of the ones that really pushes your limits to how much uh, you can empathize with Frank Burns. I mean, there's other, like, we know that Frank's a terrible person. Uh, but then there were other episodes where they suggest that uh, he was probably raised in a fairly loveless home. Uh, he talks about in another episode in season three where uh, uh, if they hummed at dinner, he got punched in the throat. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, they, they really did try and round him out occasionally to suggest that, you know, he is a, he's, he's kind of a monster, but he was raised to be one. And, and so you should have some empathy for him. But this one, the, he is he is completely willing to ruin uh, Weston's life. Uh, and that really pushes your limits to how much you can sort of ever forgive him. And to that, to that, uh, to that point in the scene in the mess tent where he tells Margaret 
because uh, Margaret, Margaret, first of all, doesn't understand because Radar comes in and he says, uh, hey, we, I, I moved Private Weston off of your duty roster. And they're all like, well, why did you do that? And uh, Margaret says, yeah, I need to be informed of these things. And then Frank says, uh, he's a, he, perversion is one of the things we're fighting here. And Margaret takes his meaning and understands what he is saying. And she says, Private Weston, that nice boy. And you get the sense, at least in this moment, that she's on board with the way Frank thinks. And it's Frank and Margaret that both get up. And they, in my mind, it's suggesting that they are both headed out to file a complaint. But then you never see really Margaret again for the rest of the show. And I have to wonder, they always made pains. The MASH always made pains to soften Margaret, when it, at least compared to Frank. Is that, yeah, she was along for the ride for a lot of the idiocy that he he put in on he he threw in on but she had her limits she wasn't racist she wasn't this or that compared to frank and i always wonder is the show realizing nah we can't have margaret go that far you know like she she would be shocked because obviously she's very very uh, she's got her own problems in terms of her sort of bigotry and she certainly is someone who would be against uh weston being in the military because that was against the rules uh, just for its own sake. But I do wonder, did they realize we can't have Margaret go down this far because we want her to be somewhat likable? I definitely think that because, yes, yeah, she isn't in the rest of the episode. Right. She doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't. She We never see her after that scene in the mess tent. It's it's totally all Frank's mission and stuff like that. So I love how desperate Frank is when he is trying to get rid of Radar, who's talking about that, you know, he, we've got you moved to Western Army duty roster. And he goes, this is an officer's mess. And <laughs> It's not been an officer's mess since the beginning, Frank. This is really a very, very empty threat. I agree, yeah. And, yeah. and I love Margaret's professional caring, like, because, you know, Frank's trying to give her the runaround, and he's like, about when they talk about quarantine, she's if he needs to be quarantined, I need to know. Right, right, right. I love her professional caring with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's a professional more than, more than anything else. Uh, I, there's a scene earlier, which I did mention in the... Uh, in the synopsis, because it really has nothing to do with the plot. But there's a scene with uh, Hawkeye and Nurse Mitchell mm-hmm. uh, where he is painting her toenails. And Radar comes over and, and gets him and he says, can I watch? And then there's this whole thing. And it really has nothing to do with the episode. But uh, I have to say, like, it's probably one of the – I don't want to say smuttier scenes because it's not. There's nothing inherently smutty about it. But there's definitely a sort of eroticism to it. Uh, that, that because they are they are this is foreplay between the two of them, and it just happens to be, on, you know, on the on the on the on the compound in front of everybody, sort of. But I mean, there's something about the way that Alan Alda keeps looking at Nurse Mitchell that really is very sexually suggestive, even though the dialogue itself is pretty innocent. Well, I I love a good foot massage. That's the <laughs> thing, and I guess if someone wanted to paint my toes, I guess I'd let them. I mean, I, I think of that scene from Pulp Fiction where, where John Travolta and Samuel Jackson are talking about, you know, the foot massage and what that means and that it's got some sexual connotations to it and you pretend that it doesn't. But, I mean, it's sort of funny that in an episode so squarely about homosexuality, this it has that scene in it where Hawkeye is clearly putting the moves on Nurse Mitchell in a very, very specific way, even though it seems sort of innocent or whatever. And she's very cute. Bobby Mitchell is very, very she's in like a sweatshirt on and she has that bubbly voice. It's a really, really cute scene and I like it. I like it a lot. Um, overall, the only thing I would say about this episode that I, I even 
again, I don't even mean to criticize it at all, is that this episode, ultimately, Frank really doesn't learn his lesson. And I guess that probably would have been too much. There's no way, as, as I'm sure you've experienced and I've, I've even experienced, uh, if someone's a homophobe, there's really not much you can do for them, I right. think, for the most part. Uh, so there's no way that in 22 minutes Frank was going to unlearn uh, you know, his bad habits. So I guess it's kind of like, well, it, in this case, it is two wrongs make a right. The, the, the whole point is let's just get Weston back to his unit and get Frank off his back. It doesn't really matter that, that Frank – is going to still still be the same hateful person. So, okay, in the end, Hawkeye and Trapper are doing a bad thing. They're blackmailing Frank, but it's okay because it, it's the greater good. I have thought about this, and I'm sure you'll discuss this further, but as the seasons go along, I, I do feel bad for Larry Linville because, like, he is a fantastic actor, and the problem was that character of Frank. Because he's so reprehensible in these earlier episodes, how do you change him around so that he could grow as a character, and then then you don't have a foil? So I I and I know I know it was his decision to leave, but I mean he was right. Like the character had nowhere to go. Right. Yeah. I mean, by the time they got to the fifth season, without, especially when they pulled Margaret away from him and she got married, you know, there just wasn't as much for Frank to do. So, yeah, it, it, it is one of those things that they, maybe they could have done more with him if the writers had tried, but they just didn't see it. And so they kind of kept Frank as being a cartoon. And of course, without Margaret there uh, in the fifth season, he was really all alone and sort of even more hateful and stuff like that. But I said this episode... He's really testing his your limits of yeah. your, of your tolerance. It's, it's it's one thing when I mean it's not that it's good that Frank's a bad doctor. I mean that's a terrible thing. But when Frank is so racist or homophobe in this one, you really are just like oh, he's just awful. He's just there's no redeeming features to this guy, and uh, you know it's 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 unfortunate. And again, the characters have to sort of snap back a little bit. In the next episode, he's not as not as bad. Um, I mentioned uh, the writers of this one is that they were a team: Regier, Regier, R E G I E R, and Markowitz. Uh, they only had a couple of credits. It's interesting as a team. Uh, they had three. They worked on three mashes. Uh, the the guy the the first name John Regier only has a couple other credits. So he did one episode of Phyllis, a TV show called The Texas Wheelers, of which I am completely unfamiliar. And then Gary Markowitz actually had a much longer career, and he wrote some mashes on his own. He wrote Margaret's Engagement, Hot Lips is Back in Town. He seemed to mm. focus. He seemed to be a, an expert on Margaret episodes. Yeah. He also worked on Alf, Buffalo Bill, Erie, Indiana, and Alice. So as a team. They didn't have a whole lot of credits, but then Gary Markowitz by himself actually had a, a little bit of a longer career. I mentioned the actor Richard Eli, uh, who plays George here, the title character. He's great in this episode. I think he's really, really good. He had a bunch of credits before MASH, Streets of San Francisco, something called The Young Rebels, The Doris Day Show. He only has one more credit after this episode of MASH. He did an episode of Gunsmoke, and then he has no more TV or movie credits past that. Uh, I have no so I have no idea what happened to the guy, and that's a damn shame because I can imagine. I mean, this as I mentioned, this episode uh, was directed by Gene Reynolds, who was of course one of the producers of the show, and a lot of this has to do with how it's written and how it's directed. But I mean, R- Richard Eli does not for one moment uh, inf- infuse George with any of the stereotypes right. that right. you might associate with a gay character in a 1974 sitcom. He's not at all like mincing or any of those kinds of things you might expect. 
And that I think all credit to him. He does. I think he, for for how you think you just talked about how briefly he's on the show. I think he leaves quite an impression. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you hear that back in the back in these days, you know, actors were told not to take a gay role. But I don't know that I don't know that that would apply to a day player. Right. You know, right. He's on for one episode. I just can't imagine that like was blacklisted or you know couldn't get work after this. I, I just can't believe that's the case. Right. I mean, you heard that about leading men at the time, uh, right. but but not uh, not yeah, not like a day player and not like a jobbing actor like this guy was. So yeah, I would love to know what happened to him because I said I think he's I think he's the the scene with him and Alan Alda uh, is, I think is just great. Um, the one other actor I want to mention is George Simmons. He plays a patient whose uh, face is all bandaged up. So I think his dialogue actually has been eighty yard. Uh, mm-hmm. But this guy, it's sort of funny of these sort of little bit players. This guy George Simmons, he has one scene. Hawkeye talks about uh, make sure he doesn't reenlist. This guy's had quite a career. He, he some of his credits include the Cheap Detective, the China Syndrome, the Swarm, the Blues Brothers, Fun in Acapulco with Elvis, the Batman TV show, and Mikhail's Navy, among lots of other credits. So uh, it's sort of funny. This guy, you know, you would think Richard Eli would have a much more great you know platform for for greater roles, and yet this guy who basically you don't even see his mouth moving uh, actually had quite a nice career. Um, do you have a particular favorite line from this episode? Either favorite joke or just line in general? I do. Uh, my favorite is when uh, the two guys are in the shower and Radar comes in. He's like, can I see you both? And Haw- Hawkeye says, if you stand on a box, you can. <laughs> and that's, there, there's, a sim- there's a similar joke where he leaves the uh, – Radar leaves the, 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 the door open. And people just walk by and start clapping because they're getting an eyeful of Hawkeye and Trapper, which I thought was a nice, a nice little bit. Uh, my favorite line actually is it's one of those moments where the line by itself, as as written on paper, isn't funny. It's the way the actor delivers it. And it's the scene where Frank comes in uh, after he's talking to Hawkeye and Trapper. First of all, Hawkeye and Trapper are talking about Frank. And then the minute Frank walks in, they start talking about Hitler. And there's this whole thing where Frank says – uh, I know that old ploy. When you're talking about Hitler, you're really talking about me. And Frank Hawkeye says, all contraire, when we're really talking about you, we're really talking about Hitler, which I, I love. But my favorite bit is when when Frank is doing, he's being all coy, right? And he says, I know he knows something about a certain person. And he says, it's very interesting. And a very interesting, Frank, very, very interesting. And Hawkeye says, is this person a well-stacked U.S. Army major nurse who's bigger than a bread box and you're seeing on the side? And I love Frank. He's in the middle of shaving. He forgets himself for a moment, and he just goes, no. And then he's like, no. And he forgets that. He forgets that he's answering the innuendo. And I just love the way Larry Linville delivers that, that he just, no. No. He's insulted retroactively. I just love that. And, again, I love when the writers – are trusting the actor to know how to do that. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like going on paper. That's not that funny, but the way Linville delivers it, it's it's absolutely perfect. I just I I just think it's great. It makes me laugh every time Definitely. that he just forgets that uh, he's not supposed to admit that he is, of course, uh, having sex with Margaret on the side. I have something in my notes about that scene, um, which you probably know this because you've watched them five thousand times. But I noticed that when Frank is shaving. When they show all three of them in the same shot, you can see the shaving cream on his face is very thick on his left cheek. Like you can see a line of extra shaving cream, Mm -hmm. but that's to him in the close up. 
it's very smooth. Like you can see, it's just, just a little bit of shaving cream. So like the next time you watch it, if you look at the shaving cream, you can see the differences on his cheek. Oh, I didn't, I did not <laughs> notice that. Jeez. Even though there's times I've seen this one. Well, I, I imagine that was probably so hard to keep track of. I know they had probably like a continuity person, but that was probably a giant pain. The other thing I have in my notes, which I think is interesting is, um, episode starts with them being in uh, the OR and operating and then it shifts to the mess tent and it's uh, just the group of them sitting there and they're drinking coffee. The way the mess tent is lit, I've never seen it lit like that. Like it's the light is just on the four of them sitting at the table and you see like another table with a coffee urn and that's it and maybe like the mess tent door you don't see how big the mess tent is just the way it's lit i i, I think it looked fantastic yeah that's right i did notice that that is kind of an unusual take on that like if there's like a key light just on them that's that's usually not the way it's lit usually you can see every corner of the tent from behind wherever the the shot is composed that's interesting i wonder why and they it, went with that it well i it really made you feel like they were up all night and it's dark it's probably like three or four o'clock in the morning and they're just beat and i just think it it makes you feel tired and you know you've just been doing it for so long and it's just so dark yeah it's a, the, 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 that's a great opening where they talk about how dead tired they all are and radar tries to get them coffee and stuff like that it's a, it's a great opening you could use that opening for kind of any episode but it's it always works seeing how tired they are yeah this is this is a really great episode uh it's very progressive uh, i would love to have known what the reaction was uh to this episode whether you know i mean there's always some knucklehead right in with complaints about this kind of stuff so i would love to know whether it was well received i like to think that it was because i think it's a it's a Difficult topic for the time, very sensitively handled. Uh, and it only makes me, when I was a kid, makes me want to be more like the people on MASH. You know, it, it makes me want to be like Hawkeye and Trapper and, and Henry because they are the kind of people kind of I wanted to be. And then to see them, you know, I mean, TV and movies can be empathy machines. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it's supposed to work is you're supposed to identify with these people and i that was something i definitely aspired to be is be more like these people and said especially uh hawkeye this his reaction to george the way he makes george feel so at home he even has that joke about you promise you won't uh george says you probably won't tell anyone about this and he says as long as you don't tell anyone about that throw because he throws a football and he has a really bad throw or whatever so it's a uh, it's a it's a real terrific show it's a really really terrific episode and it's a uh, I've mentioned – I think I've mentioned virtually every week. Uh, I don't think there's a, a bad episode in season two, uh, and this one I think is even a particular highlight. It's a really, really funny show, and again, it's a great topic. So, And I'm glad they did it. So, Sean, thank you so much for stopping by again and discussing this one with me. Absolutely. Always happy to do it. Thank you very much, my friend. Uh, so, of course, if you want to listen to back episodes of this show, you can go to the website, firewaterpodcast.com. There you can leave a comment. We're always talking MASH over on Twitter, which is at MASH477Cast. And I have to mention, of course, we now have a Fire and Water Podcast Network Patreon. You can pledge to support the network and help us keep the lights on, unlike the mess tent. You can go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. And one of the rewards you can get for a month ongoing monthly donation is you can be name-checked on a show of your choice. And so I always have to thank uh, the people who uh, asked to be mentioned on MASHcast. That's Adam Sanders, Nicholas Prom, and Suzanne Holland. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Again, you can go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. So that is going to do it for this episode of MASHcast. So until next week, that is all. Mm -hmm.
What's his beef, Radar? He's trying to force Colonel Blake to sign some forms so Private Weston will get a dishonorable discharge. How's he trying to force him? By insisting. Since when is insisting forcing? I honestly believe Henry Blake would be held up through the mail.